I had a sponsor reach out to me. They said, Hey, we'll pay you five grand per month for the next three months. All you have to do is like post one video a month for us and maybe like tag us in a story or something like that. And I kind of sat back. I was like, they're going to pay me more to post like one video on my social media than I'm making an entire 40 hour work week for like that whole month. Like it was just kind of crazy <laughs> to me. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on John E. Finance, who goes from an accountant to a content creator with millions of followers and who has since left his job. But before we get into his story, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, not a whole lot of things, uh, not a whole lot of dominoes falling my way the last few days. Uh, so if you hear any sound quality issues, that also kind of ties into it. Don't have my my headphones or my mic or anything with me. But first, we had the winter storm come across Texas and knocked out our power for a couple days. And so we ended up actually sleeping in the Tesla. So that came in handy. You know, I got the climate control, got us through that um, and then headed out to Salt Lake City. Going on my flight out, the flight was delayed. And so they made me change my connection to be like, going from like a one hour layover to like an eight hour layover. Finally get to Denver, which was my kind of connection city spot. And I actually was able to make the layover out of a ton of back and forth with customer service and going back to the desk and all that sort of stuff. It was a bit of a nightmare. Make it to Salt Lake City, um, but my bag doesn't. And, you know, we're skiing, so that's kind of important. But then, you know, my buddy who, when I went to Salt Lake to visit and stayed with his, at his family's place, he happened to have some skis and boots and stuff there. And it just so happens that they fit me. So I was like, all right, we're back in this. And so get out on the mountain, we're in line for first chair and they shut the lifts down. It's too windy. <laughs> oh my God. And so um, we're on the Canyon side. If you're familiar with kind of the way Park City set up, Park City at one side, Canyon's on the other. We looked to try to get from Canyon's over to the Park City side but it was going to take like an hour to get over there. And so we just decided to call it a day and hit up the High West Distillery. Then I just got a call as me and Cody were literally hopping on to record this, that my bag is supposed to be getting delivered today. So hopefully I'll have my own stuff and we'll get out there and we'll get skiing tomorrow and everything will be back on track. So oh, that's, that's what I got going <laughs> on, Cody. How about you? I hope, I hope BAMP's a little better. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, that sounds like a wild ride you've been on. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, as we're recording this, we don't know that your bag is going to get safely delivered, but I really hope it does because I love skiing and snowboarding on my equipment. I I really don't like renting. It just like, especially on a new mountain, some, if it's like different terrain. But yeah, so I've been in Banff since last Wednesday and we have the Icon Pass. So I have access to what's called the big three here. It's Mount Norquay, there's Lake Louise Ski Resort, and then there's Banff Sunshine. So Banff Sunshine has been our favorite. It's had the best conditions. We've skied there the most, but the other ones were pretty good as well. Got some night skiing in and it's just like, it's night and day, the East Coast compared to the West Coast. For those East Coast skiers, if you've never been out here before, highly, highly encourage it. I mean, not only the views just like to die for, like every time you're going down the mountain, it's just like, you look to your right, it's like postcard, left, postcard, straight, postcard. It's just like the this incredible view of the mountain ranges. But also the conditions are just so much better. Like the best conditions out in the Northeast, like the worst conditions out West. Some people were complaining. They're like, oh, it's a bit icy out there. And you know, we go down the trails and we're like, this is not icy. <laughs> you have not seen ice until you skied in New England. So yeah, man, it's it's been awesome. And I know this last episode, the 2023 goals, 
we kind of talked about the slow travel and having more of a routine. And we've actually really been able to embody that this trip. So in the mornings, Lauren and I will do some work on our computers, just kind of get the housekeeping stuff out of the way. We'll go to the gym. We'll come back and work a little bit more if there's anything that needs to be tied up and just finished. And then we'll go out and just enjoy the day. We'll go skiing. We did dog sledding as well, which is super cool. Something I've never done before. And it's just been an awesome mix. So I don't feel like I'm falling behind a ton. And going back to last episode again, where we mentioned I'm drastically reducing my alcohol intake. A vacation like this, we would typically be drinking like almost every day. And after a while, my body would probably be hurting a bit. But it's just been kind of what you were saying, Justin, like going to all the breweries, all the distilleries in the area, because there's a ton here, getting a couple drinks, trying them out, but not just like getting wasted and trashing my body. So I just we've been really enjoying this vacation so far and looking forward to many more like it. But that's enough about us and what we're up to, Justin. Let's talk about our awesome guest for today, John E. Finance. So I think a lot of people will actually resonate with John's story in that he did everything that society tells you to do to be successful. He went to college. He got good grades. He becomes an accountant. He's not making great money. He's making all right money. He's like house hacking. He's he has a pretty good savings rate. He's definitely spending less than he earns. But he just feels like there's something out there. Like he didn't really love his job. He just kind of put in the work day in, day out, save as much as he possibly could. But then he starts creating personal finance content online. And it's mostly just the basic stuff that he wished he knew when he was in college. It's like student loans and credit card debt and just all the basics that Justin and I talk about in this podcast. And that long story short becomes wildly successful. He now has millions of followers across all his platforms. But it's really interesting. Justin and I get to ask him about it in this episode. The turning point is that a sponsor reaches out to him and they're like, hey, we're going to give you this amount of money to create this one, I think it was a TikTok or an Instagram video. That amount of money was more than he had made that entire month out of his accounting job. So I think there's a ton in here, whether you're a content creator or not, because even if you're someone who's just working in a corporate job or doing some other side hustle or entrepreneurial thing, the things that John does on the personal finance side to be able to afford some of these options and some of these luxuries and some of this lifestyle freedom, I think everybody can take a little bit and put it into their own journey. Yeah, like you said, Cody, hopefully everyone can get a little something out of this, regardless if they're creating content or not. You know, he was house hacking in the beginning. So he's definitely like in that same mindset as a lot of our listeners. And the things he's teaching about are obviously things that everyone can learn from. Um, I think the funniest thing for me was the part where he's going through and talking about how kind of came out that he was doing these videos in the first place. Like he was keeping it to himself because he wasn't sure if it was really going to turn out to be anything. And was probably like a slightly embarrassed by, you know, going in and talking into a camera on your cell phone and so he was kind of sneaking off to the side and finally his girlfriend's like, what are you doing over there? Like, where are you sneaking away and doing it on your phone? And, you know, he's like, hey, nothing, nothing nefarious, just making these personal finance videos. And next thing you know, like you said, he's got like millions of followers and making more making these videos than he was at his day job. So if you want to find the links to John's videos so that you could learn some great personal finance tips, or maybe you think there's someone who would really resonate with this episode, and you want to share it with them, you can do all that over at thefyshow.com slash John E. That's thefyshow.com slash J-O-H-N and the letter E. Take it away, John. I remember specifically in high school, I felt like I kind of grew up with an entrepreneurial mindset, which is interesting because both my parents were traditional nine to fivers. They didn't start businesses. They weren't very entrepreneurial themselves. So I don't know how I kind of got into that entrepreneurial mode. But I know in high school, I kind of did the thing where I would maybe sell packs of gum at school or sell some. I remember I would make custom socks. Like I would like dye these socks bring them into school and sell them for like, you know, a $5 markup or whatever. And so 
I always kind of wanted to make money on my own. I didn't want to be reliant on any like one source of income. And so I just kept like trying different things. And with that mindset, I kind of like rolled that into college. And that's when I became a finance major. And I really wanted to know like, how do you make money? How can you like sustain yourself and build businesses and all that? Because I was really interested in that stuff. It was just something that I was naturally interested in. And there wasn't like a specific like money tick where uh, I was like, oh, like, let's start making money. It was just like kind of born into my DNA. And I remember just reading books and different podcasts. And I'm sure we can get into uh, some of the stuff where I learned like all about personal finance. But yeah, I felt like I was just kind of born naturally into, okay, I want to be able to support myself. I don't want to be reliant on one person or even one job for that matter. Well, if you've got that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, but you are going to traditional college, you're going getting that finance degree, what did you envision life to kind of look like when you're going in your freshman year, you're starting to get that degree? What was the end goal? Yeah, that's so funny because it actually switched like halfway through. Like when I was finance major, I was like, I'm going to be the CEO, the corner office, C-suite, whatever. Like I wanted to be like that top dog. Shortly, like I think it was like within freshman or sophomore year, I realized I was like, this is not the life I want to work in. And I even had an internship where I was kind of in that corporate lifestyle. I was like, I cannot believe that this is what life is. Like work 60 hours a week, working in a cubicle. It just didn't really light me up at all. It actually turned me off a lot. And so that's when I kind of had an identity crisis. I was like, okay, I thought I was going to be the CEO, but it turns out that this is the exact opposite of what I wanted to be. I tried to understand, okay, it's like, okay, people create businesses so they can make money. But they also create businesses so they can like have freedom and, and time freedom. And so that really interested me as well. I didn't quite understand that until a little bit later on in college. But there was one book that I read in college that just really like set the trajectory of everything in my personal finance career. And it was a book called Set for Life by Scott Trench. I read that my junior year and it was just like so pivotal to me. It was everything like that was different about like personal finance. It was like lowering your expenses and increasing your income and house hacking. That's what introduced me to house hacking. We can talk about that as well. It was such a pivotal book for me. And that was like, wow, I need to learn more about this type of finance, this type of personal finance, rather than the like counting, the financial modeling that I was learning in school. I was like, this really isn't like interesting me. It wasn't of interest to me. And I think that the personal finance is what leads to that freedom that I, I was kind of searching for in the end. So... I think it's kind of funny. We have really similar stories in terms of trajectory. It was like kind of my midpoint in college while I was studying finance that I had the light switch moment. Like I don't want to work in finance. Like the people mm-hmm. above me seem miserable. I'm just going to be bumping up from like analyst one to analyst two to like manager one to manager two. Like it was just not the path for me. And so I kind of had the same realization as you. It's awesome. That was set for life too. I'm a huge fan of Scott Trench and yeah. his work. Did you end up getting that traditional job out of college or did you make some kind of entrepreneurial thing work like straight out of the gate and you didn't even need that corporate job? Yeah, no, I actually ended up getting the corporate job. I was an analyst, like an analyst one, just like you said. (laughs) And I couldn't quite figure out that side hustle or that like entrepreneurial like business to start in college yet. I don't want to say there was pressure on me to finish my degree, but it was more like, okay, I'm already here. It's going to be worth it just to get the finance degree in general. And I was going to an in-state college and I was paying for my housing. And so I was able to get it like pretty cheaply as well. So I was like, okay, let me just get this degree and then I can kind of figure out where to go from there. But I got the analyst one job and then I ended up switching to become an accountant. I hated that even more. And (laughs) so I was like, okay, something's got to change. And kind of like throughout that is when I actually started 
posting videos online about personal finance because I was learning about traditional finance in school. But as I was doing that, I was also listening to personal finance, like podcasts, audiobooks. I was reading books like Set for Life, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all the classics. And that's kind of just what like encompassed me as like, okay, this is the way. The financial freedom is the way. And I tell people all the time, I got that. I was high on fi. It's like whenever you first find out about financial independence, you're just like so obsessed with it. It's like you want to tell everybody about it. You want to tell your friends and family. You become that annoying person that just talks about financial independence and retiring early. And I was that guy. And after my friends and family had enough of me, that I was like, okay, I need some sort of outlet to talk about this on a bigger scale. And that's why I started creating videos online, specifically on TikTok. That was just kind of the medium that I found to be most popular at the time back in 2019. And that's kind of what I did. I just started making personal finance videos on TikTok while I was in that accountant role. And it was just something that was fun for me. It helped me with my creative outlet. I was teaching people. I was learning things as I go. And that was really like one of the best decisions I ever made was just posting videos online of myself and trying to help people along the way because it's provided so many opportunities. And I'm sure we can go down that path as well. Well, a lot of times when we get in this part of people's story, you know, it's always like, I thought I'd maybe reach a couple hundred people. I'd maybe reach like a thousand people. And you have this like perception in your mind. And then you always end up blowing way past it. So when you're first starting out, like, what did you think was going to happen with these videos? And then what was it kind of like initially? Like, how long did it take before you started seeing some traction? Yeah. So like I said, I actually posted my first video online. Well, I had tried YouTube. I had tried some blogs and stuff like that. But I posted my first TikTok towards the end of 2019. I think it was like December of 2019, actually. I had no idea that this could be like a viable source of income or that it could replace my full-time job or anything like that. I just knew it would be fun and I could help people. And like you said, if it just helps a few people, you know, it's worth it to me. Yeah, I just started like consistently posting maybe three times a week on Roth IRAs and 401ks and just like some interesting stuff like that. Because at the time, no one on TikTok was talking about money. It was dancing. It was the lip syncing stuff. It was like this cringy stuff on TikTok. And I was actually embarrassed to say that I was making videos on TikTok at the time because it just had that dogma to it. And I actually hid it from my girlfriend. I didn't even tell her <laughs> I was making TikToks because I was just kind of like embarrassed almost. After about you know a month or two of just making some general personal finance videos on TikTok, I finally told my girlfriend, she's not my fiance, she's been the biggest supporter of it throughout it. It was about three months into it, I posted a video talking about Jeff Bezos and like how much money he makes or something like that. And that video blew up because everyone wants to know how much money Jeff Bezos makes. So that video got, I think like a couple hundred thousand views, maybe like 500,000 views. And I was like, whoa, this is like crazy because at the time I was getting maybe a few hundred views. And I was like, I just made one video and a half a million people saw it. And that is like the light switch moment. I was like, okay, this is the scalable like potential, not like income, but like the scalability of social media is so massive. I was like, I have to go all in on this because it is the potential here is just huge. So I was just obsessed with that ever since that video. I'm just thinking and laughing about <laughs> you weren't telling your girlfriend that you're posting these videos and recording them. You're probably like going to the bathroom five yeah. times while you're hanging out. She's like, John, are you okay? Like you've been in the bathroom for 20 minutes. This is your fifth time. And you're like, hold on, a Roth IRA. Yeah, no, exactly. No, just one quick story on, on that. <laughs> yeah. One quick story. How oh, she found out was that 
we were at the airport and I was like editing a video on TikTok, like while we were at the airport. And she was like, why are you on your phone so much? I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, don't worry about me. <laughs> and I was like editing this video. I was like, okay, max out your Roth IRA and like all this stuff. And she finally like takes my phone. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, okay, like I'm not cheating on you. I'm just like posting videos online to TikTok, you know? So <laughs> she was very supportive. She was like, why don't you just tell me? I was like, it was, I don't know. I was just embarrassed about it. But like I said, she's been my biggest supporter. She's very, very thankful that I started, obviously. And so, yeah, it's funny that <laughs> it took some time for me to actually warm up to the fact that I'm posting on TikTok. So, Well, that's awesome, man. And congrats on the engagement, by the way. Yeah, thank you. The fun thing about having someone like you on is personal finance content creator. You're like, you're constantly looking at your own numbers, your income, your expenses, and you're talking about them all the time too. So I'm hoping that we can take a chance to kind of dive into what your situation looked like maybe straight out of college. I know you mentioned house hacking was something that you took advantage of. Kudos to Scott Trench and Set for Life. But what did that look like? I guess, how much were you making straight out of college? You were in that finance job, then you switched to accounting. I guess we can go over the income change in those as well. But what did things look like on the income side of things and the expenses side of things like straight out of college that first year? Yeah. So I want to make this well known that while I was in college, I was paying for my housing and like room and board and books. But my parents did help me out on my tuition. And like I said, I went to a state school, so it wasn't like exorbitantly expensive. But I came out of college with no student loans. And I'm just very, very you know, thankful and privileged to be in a situation that I can do that. I won't say that it didn't take any work. I, I was working you know, part-time jobs and making sure I kept my expenses low. But yeah, I was able to come out of school without any student loans. And I'm very, very thankful to be in that position. So right after college, I was like, okay, there's kind of two ways I can go about it. I can get an apartment like downtown, maybe pay like 1200 bucks a month. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, by the way. So it's a, you know, relatively low cost of living. So I could live downtown, you know, pay 1200 bucks a month for an apartment, or I could potentially move back in with my parents and pay, you know, little to zero rent. And so I was like, okay, do I live with my parents? eh, I was going back and forth. But at the end of the day, I made the intentional decision to actually move back in with my parents for just one year. It's one of those things that you won't be able to do like years down the road. So it was a very intentional decision. And because I had read about house hacking, I knew I wanted to save up a lot of money so I could buy my first house hack. So I I made the choice to move in with my parents and live really frugally with them and, you know, helping them out as well and spending more time with them. It was a great, you know, mutual relationship. And so I was able to live with them very cheaply. I saved up you know, after a year or so, I would say after about 18 months, I had, you know, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars saved up because I wasn't paying any rent and I was actually able to keep my expenses very low. That's one caveat. And you know, I will say not everyone can do that. But I had that intentional decision. And so I was making at the time about forty-six thousand dollars in my analyst role. I was able to save up like over half my salary. So I had like twenty thousand dollars saved up. I ended up moving back to Cincinnati. So there's a couple moves in there, but I had $20,000 saved up and I made that conscious decision to find a house hack next. And so that's kind of what I did is right in 2020 during the pandemic, I had been searching for properties, looking for duplexes essentially. And in July of 2020, I closed on my first house hack because I had that money saved up. And so I was able to live in the top half and rent out the bottom half. And I can get into the numbers too, but I just kind of wanted to set that expectation for people. And I always recommend this. If you're in college or you're just a year out of college, like if you can live with your parents, 
by all means, like you shouldn't feel bad about it. I think you should definitely try and take advantage of having that time with them and spending that time with them, but also saving up a lot of money too, because you won't be able to do that in your later years. So do you guys have any experience like living at home with your parents? Or I just kind of want to ask you guys, like, what's your thoughts on doing that? So for me, I actually did the same thing for seven months and moved back in. It allowed me to save up a bunch of money, ended up meeting a bunch of people, going on a book tour, kind of a whirly twirly journey. It sounds like you have a similar story, John. But yeah, I did take that same route and I took advantage and got to live rent free for about seven months, which was huge Mm -hmm. for saving up money. The Air Force decided to relocate me 1,100 miles from my home. So it's been a little (laughs) tough commute to make that work. Yeah. I don't know. It's just part of our story, right? We want to be transparent in our numbers and our story. And I think that it's important to understand that like, if you can either live with roommates or live with parents, you can significantly reduce your rent. And we all know housing is our biggest expense. And so it's like, by doing that, it'll really help catapult your savings that way. And so yeah, I had roommates all four years in college. I lived with my parents a year after college. And that's why I was able to save up $20,000. And I took that $20,000 and put that into my first house hack. So again, very, very calculated throughout my whole journey. Well, even though I haven't really lived with my parents since I was basically 18, don't think I've ever really lived alone. I've always had roommates or me and Leslie have lived together and split mm-hmm. some things. And you talk about that first house hack. So like, how was that? Was it successful? Was it something that got you hooked on that kind of line of thinking? Or was it something that you tried and it didn't really work out and you decided to go a different direction? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. I consider myself pretty lucky on my first house hack. So I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I purchased the house hack. I say I put $12,000 down. So it was 5% down conventional loan. I was able to get that price or get that loan because it was an owner-occupied loan. I was going to be living in it, but also renting it out. So it was a 5% conventional and it was a $252,000 duplex in Cincinnati. So with that, it was like $12,000 down plus closing costs. It was about 15 or 16 all in. Yeah, that was my $20,000 You know, that got put right into the house hack. And so I was living in the top unit, renting out the bottom unit. My mortgage all in, my PITI was 1600 per month. And I was able to rent the downstairs for 1250 per month. So I was living for like three or $400 per month house hacking, which is pretty incredible in my opinion, because again, I could have been living downtown in the $1,200 per month apartment, but here I am living for three, $400 per month. And so by house hacking and living frugally, you know, that was able to catapult my savings even more. So I think it was a huge, huge win for me. Even though I wasn't like living for free by any means, I was still saving a lot of money by doing that. 
So I lived in that property for a year and I ended up moving out. My fiance and I are living in an apartment right now, but I'm renting out that duplex fully. Like both units are fully rented for a total of 2,500 per month. My PITI is still about 16, maybe 1,700 right now. So I'm cash flowing near $800 per month on that first duplex, which I think is a huge win for my first property. So I have no complaints. I feel like I got really lucky and I bought at a good time too. Again, very lucky in July of 2020 during the pandemic when no one wanted to buy a house and I got my interest rate for 3.0%. So it was just good timing for me and I think it worked out really well. And so what are you doing in the other expense categories? I actually saw your interview on the Drew Barrymore show talking about the big three. And so I'd love if you could talk about those and maybe some of the other miscellaneous categories as well. Yeah. So I love this concept. And again, it all comes from Scott Trench in his book, Set for Life, where he talks about the three biggest expenses, housing, transportation, and food take up two thirds of your entire income or your budget. And so when you look at wanting to save more money, cutting on your $6 coffees or canceling your $13 Netflix is not going to move the needle as much as getting a roommate and saving $500 per month or living with your parents and saving $1,000 per month. So I always look for ways to reduce those three biggest expenses. And yeah, I talked about that on the Drew Barrymore show as well. That was a fun little trip. But I think some of the best tips that I can give to the audience is that, yeah, if you're looking to reduce your housing, roommates, live with parents, just live outside of downtown metropolitan areas, especially with remote jobs. You can live outside of these high cost of living areas and still make a great salary with your remote job. So that's another way to lower your housing expense. And going on that remote job as well, you can lower your transportation costs when you have a remote job. So you're not going on your commute. You don't spend as much in gas. And this is another cool hack. So when I was in college, like I was paying for my own car insurance, I ended up getting a remote job like as an accountant. And I called my insurance provider. I was like, hey, like I have a remote job. I'm not commuting anymore. I'm maybe driving like, you know, 20 miles a week. Like I barely drive my car anymore. And they actually cut my insurance bill in half because I wasn't commuting anymore. So it's just like these small things, like they quickly add up. So if you can call up your insurance provider and tell them, hey, I have a remote job, why not? It just makes a lot of sense. So that's another great way to save on transportation is getting a remote job. And then food is likely your third biggest expense. I always like to buy in bulk through Sam's Club or Costco memberships. I meal prep every Sunday to try and curb my addiction to going out to lunch. <laughs> so I don't have any like temptation to go out to lunch. I'll have everything meal prepped. And then also just being intentional about going out. So my fiance and I will say that, hey, we like to go out on Mondays and Fridays. Like We'll go out to dinner on Mondays and Fridays. So that way we know like when we're going out, but we know when we're staying in as well. Because when you kind of go out on a whim, when you say, hey, there's nothing to eat in the house, let's just go out. That's when you tend to spend the most money as well. I love that idea of your three biggest expenses, curbing those housing, transportation, and food, because that's how you're going to save the most money. And I think that's an important topic that everyone should consider. And kind of on the same category, like you mentioned earlier, when you first started getting into financial independence, like high on fi, and a lot of times when people start attacking their expenses, sometimes they get almost too far into it. Like they get like addicted to cutting their expenses and they get to a point of almost deprivation. Did you have a period in your journey where maybe you started like really analyzing your expenses, took it too far and realized, hey, I need to enjoy myself a little bit or this is not going to be a sustainable path? It's a great question. I think everyone struggles with it. There was actually one video that I made talking about like, hey, yeah, like you don't need to buy a new car. You don't have to like go on vacations. You don't have to do any of this, like just save your money. And someone commented that 
their boss actually recently bought a jet ski and they were like 40 years old. They bought a jet ski. They had like saved up this money. They had been working hard and they bought a jet ski. And the person who commented asked like, oh, like, how do you like your jet ski? I'm sure it's fun in the summer and all that. And the boss responded saying, I love my jet ski, but I wish I would have bought it 15 years ago when I was 25. You know, because it's like when you're young, it's easy to say, hey, just save your money. But also, you're never going to be that young again, too. So it's a tough balance. It's like, okay, do I save my money? Do I like almost deprive myself, right? You know, keep chugging along or do I kind of enjoy the fruits of my labor here and there? And I think it's different for everyone. It's like, what do you value? Spend the money on what you value. If you really love going on jet skis or maybe riding motorcycles or whatever, like, yeah, by all means, like spend some money and enjoy those types of things. But then you also need to kind of cut on your other expenses if you're going to splurge on those other jet ski expenses or whatever. And I'm sure you guys have read the book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Rami Sethi. It's a fantastic book, but he talks about money dials, right? So it's like, if you're going to splurge in transportation, you're like, you're going to buy a new car and you're going to get it all souped up and spend a lot of money on that. Well, like turn your money dial down on maybe vacations or traveling because you know, you're spending so much on transportation. So it's all a balance. I feel like it takes a lot of self-awareness as well to see like what you do want to spend on. Kind of going back to your question, Justin, is that I, I did see myself kind of depriving myself of things like I stopped subscribing to Spotify. I was like, okay, I'm not going to have Spotify. I'm not going to have Netflix. I'm not going to like do any of this. And then I was like at the gym. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I want to listen to music at the gym without any commercials. Like, I feel like I can spend whatever $10 a month on Spotify. So I think it's just about knowing yourself. And then if you do start feeling deprived, start bringing those things in that give you joy. But it's a good question. Uh, I feel like everyone kind of like struggles with sometimes. So how has the balancing act kind of played out in your life? It sounds like now you're at a pretty good point where you're spending on the things you value. You're following Ramit's guidelines, I guess, or his pillars of wealth. How are things kind of shaking out now in your personal budget? Like, what are you spending per month? Like, what's the kind of breakdown with everything nowadays? Yeah. So again, I like spending on food. I like spending on travel. So I think those are the two money dials that I turn up the most is food and travel. And the reason I can do that is because one, I have a rental property that's paying for like my cost of living in my apartment right now. My fiance and I would like to house hack again too in the future. So we have very, very low housing costs and we have very, very low transportation costs. We both drive paid off cars. Our insurance is super low, like I said, because we both have remote jobs. Um, like we don't pay much in gas or maintenance or anything. So our two biggest expenses, traditionally in an American budget, the two biggest expenses, we have cut very, very low. We're living very frugally in those two categories. But now we can have the freedom to kind of splurge in other categories like food, like traveling. I've traveled more in the past two years than I can even imagine. And we like spending on healthy and kind of like going out to eat and at nice restaurants as well. So again, it's just what do you value? Like what what do you value? We don't really value like a super nice like luxury penthouse apartment. We don't value the new BMW or anything like that. And because of that, we can spend on traveling to cool locations. Like I was I just got back from LA. We're going to Hawaii in May. We've been to Alaska twice. So we love traveling and just having these experiences. And we also like spending on food. So it's just about knowing yourself and finding that balance. And it does take some time. You know, you're not going to know that until you kind of look at your budget and see where you can turn those money dials up and down. 
So the expense is definitely one side of it, but then you got the income side of it as well. It's all a balance. It's all more about ratios really than it is one any specific number. So if you're coming out of college and you're making in the 40 something thousands as a, that analyst one, and then you start to make some career changes and then you kind of get to a point where you're also making like video content full time. Like, can you walk the audience through what your income progression has been like since coming out of college? Yeah, absolutely. So coming out of college, I was making $46,000 as an analyst one. Again, in Ohio, like I was making decent money, but it was nothing exorbitant. And then I got to an accountant job. I started making $53,000 per year. Nice little boost right there. For the audience that doesn't know, I make content on TikTok and, and YouTube and Instagram and all that. And so that really boosted my income is because you know I have over a million followers on TikTok. I'm able to sell sponsorships and do affiliate deals. And so that's what's become my full-time job as of May 2021. And from there, I, you know, I've made over... I'm not even sure what I've actually made yet because uh, it's coming to the end of the year. I'll, I'll see. But it's upwards of like $200,000 that I've made just through like social media alone. Um, and, and I will say I, I pay myself a salary of like... So I'm in an S-corp. And so I pay myself a salary of $3,000 per month, which again isn't that much at all. So I'm still like living pretty frugally. I'm still living very lean. But because my expenses in housing and transportation are so low, I'm able to live off of, you know, three grand a month. And, you know, my fiance and I, we, we kind of share expenses as well. She has a job and we kind of share experiences as well. But yeah, so I, I went from making like fifty thousand dollars a year. We're gonna do revenue of probably over two hundred thousand dollars this year. That's not all profit and you know taxes take some of that as well but it just goes to show you that like if you kind of commit to something like commit to providing value to a bunch of people that you can slowly maybe not slowly actually you know double or triple your income when you start betting on yourself and I know Cody knows this it's like if you can have some digital products as well it's unlimited possibility out there so I think just putting yourself out there and having a personal brand is actually one of the best things that anyone can do whether you're talking about finances or food or fitness or, or whatever, just putting yourself out there, I think, brings a lot of opportunities. Because if I didn't start TikTok three years ago, you know, I'd probably be making sixty thousand dollars a year in some like accountant two role right now. You know, so I think having that opportunity to scale your income has been really important. But I'm also not upgrading my lifestyle significantly just because I've been making more money. I will say, I know I'm kind of ranting right now, but one of my, I know a lot of people in the social media space who are making, yeah, they see like a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, and automatically. Tesla, they're flying first class. They're doing all these sorts of things, upgrading their lifestyle significantly. And I'm just like, you know what, guys? Like, that's cool. You know, have fun, enjoy that while it lasts. But I think it's a slippery slope when you start hitting that lifestyle inflation. So I've always been like comfortable from what I spend. And no matter how much I make in my business, you know, I could make half a million next year. I'm still going to be paying myself a modest salary. I'm just going to invest everything else into the business. So that's kind of my mindset on it. One of the biggest hangups I see with entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and I actually spoke to someone, won't name names, who's making $20,000 a month with their side hustle. And they didn't want to take it full time because they didn't want to give up the golden handcuffs of the day job. So in your position, like in your situation, John, what was kind of the income dichotomy from your day job versus the TikTok, Instagram, YouTube stuff? Like how much were you making with the side hustle stuff before you're like, you know what, I'm going to step out of this accountant role? Because that seems to me to be one of the biggest hangups is people really like the consistency of that steady paycheck, even if they already have something else that's really successful on the side. 
Yeah. I love to answer this type of stuff because it's so impactful for people to kind of understand their story. So for me, how I knew to take it full time. So I was making, I think maybe, yeah, three grand a month from my accountant job. And what kind of flipped the switch in my head was that I had a sponsor reach out to me. They said, Hey, we'll pay you five grand per month for the next three months. All you have to do is like post one video a month for us and maybe like tag us in a story or something like that. And I kind of sat back. I was like, they're going to pay me more to post like one video on my social media than I'm making an entire 40 hour work week for like that whole month. Like it was just kind of crazy <laughs> to me, like how scalable social media is. And I was like, okay, it's a three month deal for five grand a month. And what made me kind of act on that is like, again, I was living so frugally. I was house hacking, like my car was paid off. Like I could have lived off like a thousand dollars a month, you know? And so I was like, you know, why not just kind of like take the leap of faith? I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go full time in this. And at the very, very minimum, I'm going to be getting paid for three months. But also because I was living so frugally, I had enough runway to last me a year. And I'm going to credit Cody on this. I had a year's worth of experimental freedom, right? It's like (laughs) I was living frugally and I had enough money saved up that I had the freedom to experiment with full-time entrepreneurship. And because I took that leap of faith, I've just you know scaled my income exponentially because of that. And so to people who are worried about leaving the day-to-day job or going full-time, again, keeping your expenses low is the best safety net in my opinion. Is like, you know, you don't have to be spending a lot of money to be comfortable. And so I think that's really important for that. If you just, I think, know your expenses, I guess is the biggest tip for people. It's like I have QuickBooks online and I go over my expenses every single month in my business just to make sure I'm still like on track and I know comfortably what I'm spending. I know what I'm earning. And I think that's like the best way for people to feel comfortable and actually leaving their job. So I would tell that person to just like start tracking your expenses in some sort of like accounting or QuickBooks solution. And just see how much you're spending because it'll give you a lot of uh, peace of mind to know that, okay, I have like 12 months to not make any money at all. That'll give you a lot of trust to like take the leap of faith. So, yeah, I actually think that last bit is super important for everyone, whether they even consider doing an entrepreneurial thing or not. Like, even if they're just wanting to try a different company or they want to get into a different job market that maybe is a little scary, like maybe it's a little tumultuous time. You don't want to leave this job that you're at because the job market's a little scary, but you want to bet on yourself or maybe you want to take a break and, go back to school, get some kind of certification. Like there's a lot of different reasons why people stick with something that's not really giving them a lot of joy because they don't have their finances in a good enough place to feel comfortable doing that experiment, even if it's not jumping to an entrepreneurial thing. Mm -hmm. But in your case, that is what you did. Like you walked away from a normal job and went to this experimental thing. I was curious if you had any like stories you'd want to share around maybe not backlash is the right word, but sometimes there's like social norms around having that normal W-2 job. And when you're starting to tell people that are close to you, hey, I'm about to stop being an analyst. I spent all this time, went to school, got a finance degree. (laughs) Instead, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make some TikTok videos. (laughs) So first, like I told my girlfriend, like now fiance at the time, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about quitting my job. And she knew I wasn't that happy in my accountant job. And she said, you know, as long as you're happy, like we feel comfortable in our job, we had our expenses low. She's like, I support you full time. And I was like, heck yeah. Now I got to talk to my parents. And it's like, okay. So I talked to my mom and my dad and they're like, you know what? 
This TikTok thing is like really like not traditional at all. Like it seems really scary, but this opportunity might not last forever. So they're like, you know what? You should take it, jump ship. And worst case scenario, I go back, become an accountant again, right? That was kind of like the worst thing that could happen is that TikTok or social media doesn't work out and I go back to being an accountant. So they were like, go for it, you know, just go for it. And I was like, heck yeah, let's do this. So like, I really had a lot of support from my like inner circle. They were rooting for me this whole time. And like you said, betting on yourself is probably the best thing that you can do. And even when I told my friends, they were just like, they were super surprised, but they're like, hey, again, this opportunity may not last. And the worst thing you could, that could happen is that you go back to your accountant job. But I will say with the money that can be made on social media, like it kind of speaks for itself because I remember my first ever sponsorship. This was before like my three month trial period. My first ever sponsorship was with a brand and they paid me $3,000 to do one video for them. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. You know, I can make $3,000. My support system was uh, very, very like supportive of me kind of like taking the leap of faith and going full time. And the numbers kind of speak for themselves in social media uh, just because it is so scalable. I remember I was working with a company, my first ever brand deal that I worked with a company, they paid me $3,000 to make a video for them. I was like, holy cow, like $3,000. That's awesome. That's a lot of money. So I made the video for them. It performed really well. I didn't really hear from them for like the next like few months. And so then a year rolls around and I reached back out to them. I was like, hey guys, we did this video last year. It performed really well. I would love to create another video for you guys. What do you say? Like, would you want to do another deal? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do another deal. How much are you charging now? Because over that year, I had grown significantly. Like, my social media had grown significantly. I think I like actually tripled my following then. And so that's kind of what I did. I was like, I got paid $3,000 for the first video. I tripled my following since then. So I'm going to triple my price as well. So I was like, okay, how about $9,000 for one video, one TikTok video? And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, let's go. Like I could have said like $20,000, you know? And so it just goes to show you like, again, betting on yourself and just really like sticking to the process and committing to just providing value first. Like the value that you get in return is always going to come back tenfold. And so my support system, when, <laughs> when I told them that story that like, I got $3,000 last year and I got $9,000 this year. They're like, oh my gosh, like never stop doing that type of stuff. So it's just crazy. Like I just feel very like blessed and lucky to be in like such a position. But again, I'm not like, uh, like upgrading the lifestyle significantly. I'm still trying to be humble about some of my success and some of the money that I see. So it's been a journey, but I've, I've, I've loved every single bit of it. So we've kind of talked about you being a personal finance content creator, but kind of abstractly, we haven't really dug into the content itself. I'm wondering, your videos seem really well researched, really well edited too, like they're always super entertaining. And our audience is always looking for money hacks, things that maybe they don't know about, whether it's rules or apps or strategies, whatever. If there's any off the top of your head over the last few months that you were really excited to like research and shoot, do you have any that come to mind, like some cool hacks or some cool things that many people don't know about when it comes to personal finance stuff? Yeah, for sure. And again, I, I research this stuff every single day. I talk about it every single day. I know you guys do as well. But I just want to focus in on the fact that you know lowering your three biggest expenses can really give you the opportunity to splurge on those other items that you like doing. So that's that's one of the big takeaways I want from this app. But then there's a bunch of cool hacks. I don't know. Have you guys heard of Spoken.io? It kind of takes Google images of photos and will test them. Like, are they selling elsewhere? So like. For example, Urban Outfitters is selling a chair for $150. 
Well, Spoken IO will find that same exact chair and find it at JCPenney for $75. And so I think that's a really cool hack that um, I think they use AI or some sort of automated thing to find the exact same chair. But because it's an Urban Outfitters chair, they you know mark it up 50% or whatever. So I think that's a really cool hack. There's a lot of those sorts of websites popping up. I always like to share those as much as I can as well. And just different money saving hacks. I know like everyone was obsessed with Black Friday a few weeks ago. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that it's important to realize that Black Friday is, you know, they mark up the price and then they discount it and say you're getting a deal, right? So um, I always like to check the Amazon outlet store. So if you go onto your Amazon app, you can go to, I think it says like discounts and savings and it says Amazon outlet. It is what it says. You know, it's an Amazon outlet store where they have discounts for brand new items. It's just basically overstocked items that you can find on Amazon. They also have an Amazon warehouse, which is actually like open box and returned items. So if people don't like an item or they bought the wrong thing, They'll throw that into the Amazon warehouse. You can get, you know, discounts up to 50%. So like all those things, like those kind of like hacks that, you know, you might not usually know about. I like to share those on my social media on TikTok and Instagram as well. So I'm just always looking for cool little like, you know, websites or hacks or anything that can you help save money or earn money more. So yeah, I like sharing those tips and tricks. And is there any content you could think of recently that maybe surprised you that people were so interested in it? Like it's not one of the things you generally think about when you're trying to teach people about personal finance. Yeah. One of my best performing videos on TikTok, I kind of do a little skit talking back and forth. I was like, I was acting as one person. I was like, hey, what stock do you think I should buy? And the other guy is like, why don't you just buy all of them? And he's like, what do you mean by all of them? It's like, you don't have to buy one single stock, just buy all of them. And then I go into the topic of buying an index fund, like, VTI or, or VOO or whatever. And that concept, for some reason, got so much traction. Like People were so surprised that you could buy one ETF or one index fund and it'll encompass the entire stock market, every single stock in the S&P 500 or whatever. And so that concept really, for some reason, shocked or resonated with people because that got over like 12 million views on my TikTok. And so I think sharing those types of things like it's common to us because we talk about it all the time, but there's still so many people that don't really understand that like you can buy an index fund or you can buy an ETF, you can set it and forget it, and you can be diversified by doing that. And I just like to share those kind of simple tips that seem obvious to us as financial creators, but it may not be obvious to the everyday person. So. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like we can find ourselves almost trapped in a bubble where it's like, of course, everyone knows what an index fund is. But then you know, you take 100 people out of a random sample, maybe one, maybe two of them will know what an index fund is. I don't know the exact stats, but going to content creation and kind of picking what to cover. I know you mentioned that was a super viral video. You mentioned one of the first super viral videos was the how much does Jeff Bezos make? What is like your strategy for picking what types of content to cover? Is it just random questions that people are asking you? Is it checking certain websites for like search volume or like what's the process to what gets time in the studio and what doesn't? I love that question too, because there's such a broad range of topics that we can talk about as personal finance creators. And before, like when I first started creating content, it was just like whatever I could think of, I would just try it as content, see how it does. And maybe I like do some analysis after that. I've become more intentional with my content recently is like, okay, who do I want to speak to? And I've kind of realized that like the audience that I'm speaking to, the ideal viewer is someone who was like in my shoes just a few years ago, right? 
So they're coming out of college, maybe they're still in college, and they're kind of just starting their personal finance journey. So that's kind of what I like to tailor my content to is like, okay, maybe you're getting your first credit card, like getting your first credit card in college, or maybe you're paying off your student loans in college, or I kind of like to identify my audience first, and then I can kind of make videos according to that. I also am intentional with it because I have a catalog of videos. So every single video I make is put into like a Notion database. And so I catalog all these videos that I make. And again, it's hundreds of videos. And then I have a VA that goes in and kind of puts in maybe how many views it got, how many likes or shares it got. And then I can kind of organize the videos. Okay, what are my top performing videos? And what are some videos that aren't resonating with people at all? And slowly I start to form content that actually resonates with people the most. So another viral video of mine was just, again, simply explaining the difference between a debit card and a credit card. Again, it's like obvious to us as finance creators, but it's not obvious to the everyday person. And so when I talked about, hey, a credit card, it's borrowed money from the bank. You have to pay it back like after 30 days. Whereas a debit card is like, you know, it takes money straight from your bank account. I'm just explaining that. It went super viral. I think like 3 million views on that one. And so if those types of ideas and concepts will perform better. I see those at the top of my Notion database. I know that I should make more content on that. Whereas like if I talk about credit utilization, people don't even understand what credit utilization is and they kind of check out of that. So I try to avoid some of the more complex and in-depth topics sometimes. So yeah, that's kind of how I think about my content. Oh, well, John, like there's no doubt you're going to have like a ton more things that you're going to cover and you're not just doing TikTok, you're doing a lot of different platforms. But for those who are kind of like following along with your story, trying to get some of the great nuggets that you're explaining, like the different hacks and the different websites that you're using, as well as your story, like where should our audience go to just follow along with you? Yeah. So you can definitely find me on TikTok. That's where I'm most active. And I'm really trying to create a better kind of system of getting on multiple platforms. So I'm on Instagram as well. You can find me on Instagram at Johnny Finance there. I'm at Johnny Finance everywhere. But I'm trying to get more onto Twitter. I know Cody and I have been talking on Twitter a little bit more now. And also LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is very underutilized right now. And those are where the decision makers and CEOs tend to be. So I think it's important to get onto LinkedIn as well. But I would say for 2023, my main focus is my YouTube channel. So YouTube, they have long form content, but they also have shorts as well, which I think is just a game changer. So I'm able to put all my shorts onto YouTube. I look at it as a funnel. like That's my discovery. Like The short form content is how I get discovered. And then since they're already on YouTube, they're going to find my long form content, which is where they really get to know me and resonate with me as a person. And then maybe at the bottom of the funnel, I have some sort of digital product or maybe some coaching or course I want to promote as well. So that's where I want to focus a lot of my time on in 2023 is on YouTube. Again, at Johnny Finance. You can find me there. I'm posting all my TikToks and shorts there. I'm also posting long form content on there as well. And that's where you'll find me. So I'm just super excited to keep making fun, entertaining content that can help teach people about financial independence. And it's been a fun journey. So, Awesome, man. Well, we will definitely link up all of that in the show notes, all of your social media channels so our listeners can pick whichever ones they're most active on. And yeah, I just want to thank you again and echo what Justin said. It was super fun having you on and kind of a fun full circle moment from getting randomly assigned to like a discussion group at the economy conference last year to now <laughs> being able to kind of flesh out your full story and dig into the expenses and the income. And thank you for being super transparent. I think listeners are going to get a ton of value out of this one. So appreciate it, man. 
Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. I think you're doing a great job with the Financial Independence Show, and I'm just excited to see how much you guys grow in the future as well. So I can't wait to see. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way, every Wednesday, you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.